HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. This week on a special Valentine's Day edition of Meet and 3, we put a twist on the lovey-dovey holiday. The mission statement is save the world through silliness and chocolate, and in parentheses, launch a chocolate bar into outer space. But I'm having um, some conflict on the board members with the parentheses. That's okay. He cited that in his area there used to be 30 dairy farms and now there are three. You know, dessert was political and what you had on the dessert table said more about you than other markers of success. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news and storytelling roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Katema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, mami, and zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is too mystery for many people, so I try to demystify this program with my clue guests. My guests today are Alexis Aliano Sambon and Chris Whitaker. Alexis joined me on episode 106 in January 2018 to discuss the production of her new film, Nourishing Japan. She is the producer and the director of the film, and now it is finally on view. Chris is a professional composer, conductor, and a pianist, and he created beautiful songs for the film. And he is also Alexis' husband. And uh, the new film, Nourishing Japan, introduces us to the unique Japanese food education philosophy through an example of the school lunch program at an elementary school in the Tohoku region. And healthy eating has become an important subject globally in recent years. And the Japanese government enacted new legislation for food education, or what's called shokuiku, in 2005 to improve Japanese people's diet and lifestyle of all ages. The film inspires us to think what food education can do to a healthy mind, body, and beyond. So today we'll discuss the philosophy of Japanese food education, how the Japanese school lunch programs differ from those in the U.S. and other countries, what children actually can learn through the programs, who supports the system to function well, and much, much more. But quickly, before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And uh, I have a quick announcement. Uh, so if you listened to the show last week, but I have to repeat because I wrote a book about Japanese food. And it recently came out in Japan in December, but uh, now it's available worldwide on Amazon website. It is called A Complete Guide to Japanese Cuisine. And the Japanese title is Eigote Gaido, There are two titles because it's written in both English and Japanese side by side. The book is kind of mini encyclopedia for Japanese of Japanese food, and it covers 90 dishes, sweets, and beverages with fun facts along with the foundational philosophy and history of Japanese cuisine. 
you can bring the book with you on your trip to Japan or to your favorite Japanese restaurant in your town as a guidebook. And if you work as a Japanese restaurant,、uh, it can be your go to reference. Also, if you grew up in Japan and the book is useful to explain the basics of Japanese food accurately to non Japanese people. Or it can be a fun textbook for both English and Japanese language learners. Again, it's available in bookstores in Japan and some bookstores outside of Japan, such as Kinokuniya and Amazon Worldwide、uh, from Amazon website. And、uh, yeah, so the, again, the title is A Complete Guide to Japanese Cuisine. And in Japanese, I hope you enjoy reading it. So, finally, now、uh, let's start a conversation with Alexis Aliano Sambon and Chris Whitaker. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. So,、uh, I was so looking forward to this final、um, the completion of the film since you came to the show. So, congratulations. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like I've.、Um I've been talking with you about it, or you know, we, I've visited here on the show to talk about it, and now it feels being back in the studio like coming full circle. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was kind of emotional, right? When you're done.、So. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an emotional journey, and just being able to talk to you about it and seeing people's reaction of the film was great.、Mm, okay, so we'll talk about that too. So,、uh, so first of all, for listeners、uh, who don't know anything about you guys,、uh, so Alexis first,、uh, where you're from? Uh, what your relationship with Japan and how do you get to making a film about Japanese school lunches? Sure. So I'm originally from California and、uh, I'm an East Coast transplant now here, living here. And I've been studying Japanese food and Japanese culture and history since I was a teenager, actually. And、um, I'd been to Japan many times before and had experienced Japanese food、um, Many different ways through host families living on my own. But it was always、um, kind of eating, f- eating food or choosing the foods that I wanted to eat on my terms. And it wasn't until I was an English teacher、uh, living in rural Shimane Prefecture that I really had an opportunity to engage with types of food that I might not normally eat. And that was through school lunch. And it really,、um, it really captured my interest. And it's been something that I've been continuing to study in depth for. Oh, close to a decade now.、Mm, right. So, for listeners, if you're curious about how Alexis, who didn't like Japanese food at all, <laughs> conquered <laughs> all the challenges, now became a professional.、Um, That, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> She was converted. Right.、Um, okay. So, Chris, where are you from?、Uh, how did you get into music? And what do you do in the world of music? Yes.、Yeah, so, I'm originally from South Central Pennsylvania, but I've been in New York City for about the last seven and a half years. And、uh, my connection to Japanese food and this film comes through my lovely wife, Alexis. <laughs>、um, but I've been、uh, a composer since a, a young age. I started writing little songs at the piano when I was six or seven years old. Wow. And、um, just that continued my musical journey.、Um, and now I work、uh, as a music director at a church. I do a lot of freelance composition. And I run、uh, a chamber orchestra、uh, in Upper Manhattan called the Washington Heights Chamber Orchestra. So、mm-hmm. uh, I've done a couple of film projects、uh, in the last couple of years,、um, but this one was a particularly special one that I got to score、uh, Alexis's documentary,、right. Nourishing Japan. That was your first documentary, right? My first documentary, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I really think、uh, usually I just overlook all those background music, but this one was really elevating the experience. I got、mm. some goosebumps. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so thank、wow. you so much for the music. Um, all right, and then you got married last year? That's right, right? last June. Oh,、yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Well, we actually met online.、Um, and、uh, we met on OKCupid. It's a little old school old at school. this point. <laughs> yeah. OKCupid. Yeah. I had somebody, there's like,、uh, I think NPR, there's a you know, Valentine's Day interview thing. And then OKCupid, OK very hard that you can be rejected. <laughs>、like、we were lucky.、Yeah. You know, there's actually a funny story that's tangentially related to the film, though, because we were just back at the Japanese ambassador's residence for a special screening of the film.、Mm. And it turns out that the very first picture I ever saw of Alexis on OKCupid was of her at the Japanese ambassador's residence. Oh, wow.、Um, and so、uh, it was kind of this, has this funny connection. Connection to our story,、uh, <laughs> we took a picture in the exact spot where I first,、uh, you know, the, the photo first that、song. I first saw、oh uh, from years ago. So it was an in- interesting little、uh, sidebar. Right.、Uh, it's connected to the film <laughs> and, and, and our, the story of our relationship.、Mm, that's kind of destiny, right? Lovely. <laughs> I, I, 
definitely. I like to think so. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the new exciting film, Nourishing Japan. So it's uh, about 25 minutes or so, and、um, there's a lot of inspiration in it. So,、uh, first, what's the theme of the film, and why did you decide to make it? So, I think there's lots of different themes to the film, but.、Um, What it all kind of boils down to, I think, is that food is something that we should cherish. And the various aspects that、uh, food comes into our life through the people that we connect with, through the communities that help to create food, to even just our experience of consuming food. And、uh, the idea was that I wanted to show how community and public policy could really work together through food、um, to improve the lives of. Of so many people, not、mm. just children, but、um, across all of society.、Mm. Right. So,、um, yeah, I think, you know, many, many podcasts discuss it's food, but it's more about lifestyle. And I think it's going to be becoming more of not just something goes into your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, how you live. Yeah, and, and just kind of how you.、Um, You, how you interact with the world around you, the natural world around you. That was something I really wanted to bring into the film、mm-hmm. was not just food, but the, the sense of the environment in place. Right. right. It's,、uh, it's funny, we don't think of food coming out of farms, but it's more about from supermarkets.、Mm. So that's、uh, like, we, so how stupid is it, right? <laughs> just forget about it. Well, we're just, you know, in our everyday lives, we, we're not really. You know, we're not working on the farm. A lot of us, we're not growing our own food. So it's, it's very easy to forget.、Right. And I wanted to kind of remind viewers of,、mm. of uh, the path that food takes. Right. Okay. So, so the film is not just about specific Japanese food education policy or anything, it's about what we should do about food with food. Yeah. I think、um, food education, shokuiku, is.、Um, One sort of facet of that, and one that I, I really wanted to explore through the film.、Um, but I think、uh, what Shokuiku is trying to do is bring food and our relationship to food and、uh, a positive、uh, relationship to food more to the forefront of our conversation, more to the forefront of our mind. And、uh, the Japanese government did this through policy, but,、mm. um, but it's not something that.、Uh, You necessarily need a policy to if, if community and society can come together in a grassroots kind of way. Right. So, shoku is food and iku is growth. So, it's not growing plants or anything, but it's more of a grow with food、yeah. as a human being, that、yeah. kind of idea. Right. And so, the, in 2005, the Japanese government enacted a new food education law, and that was a big deal. So, do you know why they just did it like in 2005, not before?、Or? Well, I think that there were probably a lot of、um, issues that the government was trying to、um, approach or、um, solve, and they were issues that are not necessarily unique to Japan.、Uh, obesity was rising、um, in Japan very slowly, but it was, it was increasing.、Uh, the diet was changing, there was more.、Um, Uh, processed fatty foods, an increase in meat consumption.、Um, the local、uh, agricultural sector, you know,、uh, could certainly use the support.、Mm. Um, and food education was also trying to、um, encourage people to think about, you know, eating meals regularly, having, having a healthy diet, and, and,、um, and making sure that、uh, what was going into your body. Was, was balanced and nutritional. And so it was really, I think, trying to tackle these issues and, and more、um, to, to kind of confront some of the, the trends that were emerging in Japan at that time. And it was kind of a pre- preventative、mm. um, kind of law. Right. Yeah, and actually, we went to the original law, and it was really plainly, nicely written. Mm. I could understand. And so, that's basically, like you said, like obesity to like, you know, skipping meals and unbalanced nutrition intake, and also lifestyle diseases like we all suffer from in the States, too. And also, 
I think they stress um, they're really afraid of losing a local traditional food culture. Yes, that's right. Right. So, and also the goal of new law is to provide individuals, this is like a little rough translation, mm. but uh, the law is to provide individuals of all ages in Japan with knowledge and capability to make proper judgment on a healthy diet and lifestyle. So it's beyond just what to, you know, you eat on today's table, yeah. but you have to have human knowledge and capacity. Yeah, and Shokuiku, um, when... Um when people might see the film, they might think that it's something that is only enacted in schools for the younger generation, but really it's something that encompasses the entire society. Mm. And you can find um, in retirement homes, there are classes on shokuiku or shokuiku is discussed. Mm. Or um, in local restaurants and communities, they have, they have local initiatives to try to make things healthier, mm. more vegetables in certain menu items. And so it's it kind of trickles or, or comes to the surface across a variety of ways. Mm, right. And also uh, the law has some articles about, you know, it's not just teachers yeah. at school. And uh, local governments are asked to be involved and the farmers. Mm. And it's really like everybody It's really grassroots. To. Yeah. And, and volunteerism. Um, people who are passionate about it are encouraged to be, to be involved, whether you're a farmer or a daycare, mm-hmm. um, daycare worker or just, you know staying, you know, a, a stay-at-home mother. Right. And uh, so the other p- aspect of this, I think this role is really great. And uh, so they created new teachers specialized in food and nutrition. So that's, uh, I think, a big deal. A new job at schools. Yeah, it helped to create this new this new type of job um, that I, I, I like to think of it kind of, their title is new qu- Nutrition Coordinator, or it can be translated that way. Mm. Um, but it's really... Um, uh, serving as a way to um, be both a nutritionist and a teacher. Um, and in the context of the film, the individual who we saw really serves as a voice of um, the schools to the school lunch center and the school lunch center to the schools, so that they can kind of learn about um, how certain meals are going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within a more formal context, the nutrition coordinators, they have a variety of classes. They work across a variety of schools to teach um, children about what a healthy meal looks like or what are, for example, three food groups or even like what are the traditional types of crops that are grown in the region or what's what's the traditional food. Because a lot of children, you know, may not have the opportunity to experience those traditional flavors anymore as they're kind of dying out. Mm, right. Everything is packaged in plastic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so the, those teachers... Um, when they teach and how often they teach? So it's really dependent on the local community, the local school and government. Um, some, uh, from my research, I've been able to find that teachers usually have a class with one grade once a semester, perhaps twice a semester. Um, and then other types, they coordinate with the other teachers at the school to try to integrate other types of learnings mm-hmm. into uh, the other subjects that the students are learning. So once or twice a semester, they might have a formal food education class, but then other components are tied in in collaboration with some of the other homeroom teachers or, or math teachers or what mm-hmm. have you. Right. And so what kind of um, subjects do they teach to kids? Well, it depends on the grade level. Um, but uh, the nutrition coordinator who we saw in the film, she was teaching a class of second graders, and she was teaching them very basic things like, um, you know, when you look at when you look at a plate, when you look at a tray or at a meal, you know, what are the different components um, to be able to identify meats and vegetables and grains or carbohydrates. Um, as children uh, progress in years, uh, some of the attention is then turned to like, who are the different people involved in the labor force? Mm-hmm. And even at a very young age, um, children are beginning to understand what, what a farmer does, who are the people that are involved in making the school lunch meals, what is kind of the labor that is involved. And that was something mm-hmm. that was also included in the law as well, is kind of a, an awareness of... Um, the people who are involved. Mm, right. So literally from farm to table, who's involved yeah. and that kind of you understand doesn't come by way from factory or anything. Yeah. It's more of a connection between whoever. 
One of my favorite uh, parts about the scene in that second grade classroom is when the teacher is explaining to the students that uh, this food becomes your body, it becomes flesh and bones. And I think that that's something that seems so simple, but is actually quite profound for these children to understand from a young age that what you are putting into your body is literally becoming your body. <laughs> that's true, right? It's just once you look at have that awareness it's scary mm. to what do you choose yeah <laughs> makes you look at a bag of chips differently <laughs> mm, right yeah and i think another thing of you know um the school lunch program i mean we're going to discuss it in a moment but you are not choosing mm, that's right. right yeah you are told to eat anything because it's good for you and you learn through challenges yes. and uh, when i was in japan i grew up I hated certain things, but you learn, and it's a quiet taste. Eventually, you're able to. Yeah, eat. I mean, I had that. I had that same experience as a 22-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay, and uh, so who, for our listeners who are not familiar with how Japanese school lunch works, um, could you describe what happens at lunchtime? Because you know, the nutrition teachers teach in classroom style, but then you practice at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so school lunch in Japan, um, well, it happens every day, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the meals are either usually created in, on the school itself or in a school lunch center, and uh, the children are involved in, in picking up the meals that are kind of dropped off in a certain delivery spot, and these meals um, have to meet certain nutritional guidelines that are set forth by the government and are, are created fresh from scratch um, and are delivered hopefully as hot as possible mm. um, and the students then um, are involved in, in picking up uh, the trays and bringing them to their classroom and that starts as early as first grade mm-hmm. and um, it is with help and guidance from other teachers that the students learn you know how to transport things and how to serve the meals themselves um, it's something that you know takes years of kind of learning and repetition to be able to kind of um, for it to become comfortable and just kind of every day um, but it's a it's very participatory and there's the the children know their responsibility because the meals themselves, um, once they are in the room, they are distributed by mm. by the children themselves. Right. So the, the classroom, like you know, by twelve twelve o'clock, um, kids would move the table. Desk. That's right, and they make the yeah. table right communal. And there's table. no, ca- I mean, typically there's no cafeteria in Japanese no. school, so that's a really big difference. Um, and uh, lunchtime is kind of seen as an extension of of class time. It's not. It's not a, a sort of a, a free time where everyone can go a little crazy. It's still, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe recess might be for that, but it's still it's still a part of you are in class. Right. And um, the students move the tables usually into groups, and um, and they all uh, have, you know, recyclable not recyclable but um, trays that are washed every day. Um, it's very green if you look at it from that way. Very sustainable because mm-hmm. they use trays. Re- and bowls that are that are washed, and um, the students distribute the meals. Um, there's usually kind of a an assembly line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you divide like you know you take turn, right? Like yeah. every month, like for a week, you're in charge of serving. That's right. And I feel like this kid, I I serve extra. That kind of how things happen too. But <laughs> well, it's also it's it's really it takes a lot of hand-eye coordination, I think, because you only get a certain amount. Of food um, per class, and you have to make sure that you know you distribute out that food enough, right. um, so that everyone gets an, an equal amount. Right. And sometimes and that no might take no leftover idea, and no, and ideally no leftover. Right. Yeah. So, so then um, the food is distributed, and everyone has to wait until all the um, everyone has been served, and everyone is at their at their seats, kind of waiting, sort of at attention, and the meal. Uh, begins when um, the classroom leaders say itadakimasu, which is um, can be translated to like I humbly partake, or it's it's a sign to begin the meal. Um, and so then students can um, sit down or are sitting down and, and enjoy the meal. And while they are eating, oftentimes in elementary school, there's a kind of radio broadcast that's mm. done by the students, and that is also an incredible. Um, 
a resource to be able to learn about, for the children to be able to learn about, okay, what am I eating today? Because this type of information is announced on on this broadcast. So like, mm. oh, these potatoes are from Farmer Yamada down the road or something like that. Mm. And the nutritional values like, and you know, calories and vitamin A. Yeah or, yeah, or like included in this soup is is wakame and this is a great source of from right. of this vitamin and so you know maybe they don't you know know that they're learning or know that they mm. are absorbing this information but when you hear this you know years after years you can begin to kind of absorb um nutritional knowledge right. even in a even in kind of a, a casual type of way and not a formal classroom right. setting right and by the way it was my first radio experience when I announced one oh, of those. Oh, really? You were, you were one of those classrooms? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that's great. Well, everybody takes turns. Yeah. Yeah, and you, everybody's like, wow, the microphone. This is my first time. And it's like a whole different experience. Yeah. Because you say it and you understand what you're saying. It's about nutrition mm. of food. And it's like very, like you said, very participatory mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And also I think, uh, you know, the social setting and teachers eating as well, they observed then you know how to behave when yeah. you eat with other people. Yeah, the teachers are still there in the classroom making sure that, you know, ev- everyone's attending to eating and um, and that the attention is focused on, on eating on eating your meal in front of you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not... It's not a, a time where um, you know the, the goal is to kind of finish the finish the meal, and certainly um, some kids might struggle with with certain things, and and they might try their best to to finish it uh, to finish the meals um, if they have an ingredients that they might not like or something like that. Right. But the teachers are there um, to support the children during that time. Right, and also I I, I think it's important to know that they don't pick uh, people to eat with. Yes, it's, yeah, there's no know, sort of cafeteria click or anything like that. Right, so it's like uh, you just, you know, to move around the desks and yeah. make a table of people who ever happen to be in the same group. And it relieves just such burden, you know, because mm. I remember when I was a kid eating in the cafeteria, like, who are you going to sit with? <laughs> you can't be alone. It it can be very, you know, stressful on a young child. And right. so to know that that decision is taken out of your hands, mm. I think... Um, also makes you feel in a better frame of mind to be eating uh, your meal in front of you. Right. So it's a very social experience too. So and uh, so you feature an elementary school in Yamagata Prefecture, uh, the northwestern part of uh, mainland Japan. So uh, it's Yamagata Ken Tsuruokashi. So why did you choose the school in the specific region? So um, Tsuruokashi is actually the birthplace of school lunch in Japan. And I had known this um, for years in doing um, my research and my master's thesis. And I knew that when I, I wanted to try to get to Tsuruoka, to go to this temple and to film there and to, to interview the temple keeper. And in the course of reaching out to Tsuruoka City and the Board of Education, um, we began to have a conversation about, well, would it be possible to film in, in other locations? And I really wanted to try to um, keep uh, the storytelling to as few locations as possible. And um, it just so happens that in addition to being the birthplace of school lunch, Tsuruoka is also a UNESCO gastronomic creative city. So mm-hmm. they have a very strong food culture, a very, uh, a very deep pride of their food culture. And they also happened to have um, several schools that had wonderful facilities uh, for creating school lunches. And so I think um, there, there was this pride and openness and, and desire to want to share the good things that were happening in Tsuruoka. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, this school that we ended up filming in, I, I kind of, I didn't know what to expect we had been during the pre-production. We had been filming in different parts of Japan. This was my first time to um, to come to Tsuruoka and to to be with the the school and the students. And it was just it was just a very warm kind of organic uh, mm. development of a relationship there. Right. Yeah. So, listeners, if you see the film, it's really amazing how so all those people captured in the film is very world-minded very um, ethical mm. and warm and just good people. Yeah, <laughs> I was really moved by them. I, I really wanted to, um, 
I think the people that we interviewed, they were, they were wonderful, um, ethical, you know, ethical people, as you say, um, really warm. But I, I also think that those types of people exist in every community, and I wanted to kind of show, um, you know, the kind of universal nature of of their of their jobs, their work, their belief in mm. what they were doing on an everyday level um, through Tsuruoka as a city. Mm. Right. Okay, so let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll discuss the key messages from、uh, Norwich in Japan. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Katayama, and my guest, guests today are Alexis Aliano Sanborn and Chris Whitaker. Alexis is the producer and director of the new film, Nourishing Japan, and Chris composed beautiful songs for, for the film. So,、um, one thing I wanted to talk about was the All the farmers. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, they were great. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all had,、um, interviewing them all, they all kind of had their own sort of、um, way that they approached food and, and food production and、um, their own kind of、uh, story of what they wanted to share through the food.、Um, one of One of the farmers, I, I refer to him as the cabbage farmer.、Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he was really about、um, cherishing kind of local crops and、um, heritage crops that had been grown in the region. And that was one of the things that we talked、uh, a lot about.、Um, whereas others were, you know, people who, you know, they had grown, they, their father had grown up with farming, but then,、um, and they hadn't necessarily embraced it at first, but then through, the, through experience, they had come to, Uh, understand and realize the joy in the work.、Mm. And they were, they were everyone who I talked to. I talked to、um, several other farmers who didn't unfortunately end up making it in the film because there were so many farmers to talk to. <laughs>、um, because everyone was so enthusiastic、um, mm. and believed about the importance of、uh, having fresh produce in schools. Right. Yeah, I think、uh, so. The, the farmer you just mentioned, so he succeeded the business from the father, and the father said, Go meet people. Yeah. And they realized because I'm making vegetables for people, now suddenly the motivation is different.、Mm-hmm. So it's not for, from growing vegetables to make people Making、happier. people happy, exactly.、Yeah. So, and then,、uh, so the farmers eat with kids, right? Yeah, some of them do. Some of them do. They go、um, and they visit、um, schools and.、Uh, They talk to children about their work.、Um, the farmer we were just mentioning, he said he, he really t- liked to talk a lot to the students about building the importance of good soil. And whenever he went and talked to students, he always wanted to talk to them about the importance of,、uh, you know, you can't grow you know, good vegetables. You can't grow something delicious if, the, if you don't have good soil.、Right. And so he, talked, he, liked, he really talked about the message of farm, farming from the ground up.、Mm. And.、Um, Yeah, it, you know, he could, you could tell that he was really inspired talking to the next generation. I, I'm sure if you hear from farmers directly, you see food differently. Yeah, I, yeah. They, you know, he, he would talk about how he would grow potatoes and they would go and eat them in class. And just, you know, I think kids oftentimes, you know, didn't make that connection that these people that they saw out in the fields, what were they doing?、Mm. You know, where, what, 
what was this food that they were growing and where was it going? And right. to be able to have that connection, I think, mm. um, has inspired a lot of children. Right. So uh, let's now play some music by Chris. So um, and you can tell us what it is. So, sure. Yeah. So first of all, uh, it's uh, the song is "School Lunch Center Scene," and uh, uh, cool engineer Matt is gonna play. So this scene is uh, when we visit the, the school lunch center where uh, the meals for the region are prepared. And um, what I was uh, trying to capture is kind of the kinetic energy of the place that you've got all of these cooks uh, cooking vegetables in large vats and chopping up uh, ingredients, uh, you know, just boxes and boxes of carrots and celery and and other vegetables. Um, my 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 hope with this with this film, first of all, you you think uh, a, 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 a documentary about school lunch, how uh, how how emotionally uh, compelling could this possibly be? But when you see the film, uh, I think that uh, you'll be delighted uh, to see that there's a really amazing emotional arc mm. to the film that ties it together. And something I was thinking about as we were talking earlier uh, was that the uh, the involvement uh, of these um, these farmers and and cooks and principals in the Japanese school lunch system it doesn't just affect the students; it actually has a profound effect on the adults and, mm. and changing the way that they see food. And I think that that's something we get over the course of the film as well. And so, um, writing music for the for the film is actually um, uh, quite a joyful experience because I got to kind of hook into this, uh, this, this rather emotional narrative, a surprising emotional narrative that, that kind of runs throughout the whole thing. Mm. And so this, this scene was, uh, in particular to kind of capture the, the fun, uh, almost mechanization of, uh, uh, of the school lunch center, uh, kind of drawing from some, some perhaps minimalist influences and repeated piano chords and marimba and that, mm, that kind of thing. Right. And all those big figures you see in the film, um, that's of devoted cooks every mm, single mm-hmm. day, you know, thinking of it's good for the kids. And it's really, I, I think their roles are very important and the film captured it very well. Yeah. So, and the next one is uh, On the Farm. So Matt, thank you. So one of the decisions that we had to make um, in in scoring this film was, did we want the f- uh, what kind of sound did we want it to have, and did we want there to be something in the in the music that was uh, that was uh, quote Japanese, and uh, we, we basically decided against that 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 try that for me as an American trying to uh, uh, inhabit a sound world that I don't really live and breathe in was, was going to come across as inauthentic so uh this 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 scene of being down on the farm uh i use pizzicato strings and guitar and there's even the uh the sort of american folk instrument called the dobro which kind of has this kind of sound <laughs> this very that feels a little bit down home and very kind of country and so uh for you know an american audience that's watching this 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 the scene of a japanese farm you know there's a kind of uh fun familiarity mm. um while drawing this kind of subtly from uh, from from uh, sort of a, a folk sensibility that might not feel foreign uh, to a to a Japanese listener as well. The one requirement that uh, Alexis had for me as I was scoring the film was that she wanted me to use recorders, mm. actually, and you can hear a little bit of that in the the first clip that you played, um, because uh, the the sound of the recorder in elementary school is this kind of omnipresent. 
this <laughs> omnipresent soundtrack of, of, of fifth graders playing recorders. And so uh, it was a sweet kind of uh, nod to the, uh, to the elementary school soundscape that we wanted to make sure we included mm. uh, to, to, to capture the spirit of, of, the, of the subject. Right. Yeah, I really like that song. All right, so next one is uh, Back at the School Temple, pretty good playground. So one of the things that uh, I tried to do in approaching the scoring of this film was that each scene has its own character. Each scene kind of embodies uh, the outlook of the people that we're watching. And so the, um, the dialogue be before this scene, this is the, 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 in, in the film what's going on is the, the kids are finishing class for the day. The teacher says, okay, uh, the lesson is done. And so everyone starts to transform the, uh, the classroom uh, into, the, uh, into their... Their, uh, into their kitchen and, and eat a meal together. And right before this, uh, we hear from uh, the gentleman who actually created the 2005 legislation, and he's talking about the importance of all the children being treated equally. And so one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, as a composer, you try to find... Um, interesting ways to hook into a, a, a musical decision. Mm -hmm. And so the, this, this piano music that starts here is kind of a nod to sort of a Bach partita or probably fugato, where uh, in, in Baroque music, in the, in the style of Bach, the, the, the aesthetic is to treat all the voices equally mm -hmm. so that every, every voice that enters has a sort of equal importance playing, playing the theme or the subject. And so that was kind of the very subtle nod to what, uh, to what the, 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 the context being that the children are treated equally in, mm. in the approach to food education. And so the, the music that comes out of it is kind of subtly nodding to that and treating the voices equally. Right. Oh, that's very deep. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I heard uh, the elementary school students, 100% of them have now uh, school lunch. And 93%, uh, I think, for uh, junior high school. So it's a good achievement, and kids are not suffering from poverty or everybody's eating good food. So I think that's great. Um, okay, so what do you think is the biggest message from the film to the audience? Sure. Well, I think the biggest message is to help encourage us and remind us that a connection to our food exists and that it um, can help to us to inspire and grow throughout our lives and it is always developing and it is always something that um, that we can kind of turn to uh, at, a, at a point in our lives and say that you know the the, the more you understand food the more you can have a have a stronger relationship with it, the more you can kind of understand uh, so many other facets um, of a, our world around us and uh, of our society. Mm, right. And uh, so the center, uh, the head of this, you know, the center. Of At the school, then, yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah. He uh, summarized, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, disclosing everything. About oh, yeah. Film, but well, he, he ends with a very... Um, he ends the film with a very deep and, I think, truthful message. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I won't say what that is, but it's been one, you know, it ties into, I think, what we've been talking about, that um, food does not, uh, and when I talked a little bit about this when I, I was here two years ago mm -hmm. or a year ago, but food does not kind of... Um, materialize out of thin air it is a it is a product of of so many mm. so many people and resources and and love that um that you should remember that and and be mindful of that right yeah one well, that scene i almost cried so <laughs> mission, mission accomplished yeah. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is such a big message yeah. that is summarized in his words so listeners yeah. you should definitely see it well um <laughs> 
I won't say what his words are, but I will say that when I was interviewing him, when he said, when he, when we were talking, um, I was close to tears as well. Mm. And um, he said the words I wanted. I, he said basically what I what I had hoped that he would say, and uh, that and that truly what I believe is the message of the film. Mm. So I I won't you know disclose too much what I think the message is, but um, you'll just have to see right. it see it sometime <laughs> soon. Come to the Museum of Food and Drink. Yes, um, right. Um, yeah, actually, uh, we will um, ask you where we can watch the film from now on. Um, but before that, so what part of the Japanese food education program uh, do you think would be useful in the U.S. and other countries? And how would you execute it? Yeah. So um, I think when people see this film, they might think, oh, something like that might not be possible in my country. or Something like that might not be possible in the United States. But number one, I would say there's already a lot of really great grassroots efforts that are mm. going on here in the United States to help change, <clears throat> help change um, our relationship with food, help to encourage healthier eating in in the school classrooms and cafeterias. Um, but um, I think you know one of if if the school if it's possible at the school, I think one of the biggest changes would be the possibility of eating in a classroom mm. um, and. Taking um, taking kind of the cafeteria out of the picture and being able to bring um, the kind of um, reflection um, and style of teaching that exists in the classroom during lunchtime. Mm. Um, this might not be possible because of infrastructure um, concerns, or or maybe um, or maybe uh, in the cafeteria there's certain systems that are already planned out. But even just doing, even just trying that maybe once a month or um, you know once a quarter or something like that, just changing the way um, children react with food and mm-hmm. and and interact with food, I think is certainly one. And then um, just encouraging more of a uh, relationship with nature and the outdoors. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools are already doing this through school gardens or um, classroom projects where they're growing pea shoots or something like that, but continuing to do, mm. continuing to do that effort. Right. I think, uh, so the Japanese system sounds very unique, but I think the fundamental principle is to educate kids to be responsible for their own body, make a decision, because, like we said, food makes your body, mm. and you are the one who can be only in charge until the last breath of your life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that impresses me about uh, the Japanese uh, outlook is that, you know, the uh, lunch is, is almost seen like a class, like an educational opportunity unto itself. Whereas in America, even if the, the food is healthy, it's seen as, as more of a, a necessity. Well, we've got to get the kids in, get them to get them fed, get them out. Mm. Um, where if you think about, um, you know, as adults, so much of our, our lives, so much of what makes the world go around happens over a meal. Yeah. Um, uh, relationships that are made and, 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 and uh, from business relationships to romantic relationships. And so um, having, uh, having lunch be almost like a class where how do, we, how do we interact with each other? How do we interact with our food? Mm. Um, I think it's just a, a little bit of a shift in outlook that would be really interesting to see happen in, in this country. Mm. And I think on, a, on an emotional level, um, when you share a meal with someone, even if, you know, they're just across the table and you're eating your meal, they're eating their meal at school lunch, like barriers break down and it's an opportunity to be able to interact with people or to reflect on, on your own, uh, on your own self. And so I think, um, you know, not only making healthy choices for you, but also, just expanding your own uh, perception of the world around you and your relationships with with the everyday. Right, right. So again, it's uh, not only what you put in your mouth; it's everything about yeah. life. Right. Okay. So where can we watch uh, Nourishing Japan? So we have a um, couple of screenings cr- coming up. We actually have our New York City public premiere this Thursday, February 20th at the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn. And I think there's still some tickets available. So, um, And that's a very fun museum. Yeah. And um, 
I mean, it's just a dream to be able to present the film there. Um, and we're going to be in conversation. Uh, myself, uh, research assistant uh, Yoriko Okamoto, and uh, Susan Homaker of Japan Culture NYC, and then um, Jennifer Pomerantz, a uh, NYU public health professor, will be providing open remarks to really contextualize what we'll be watching. So that's this Thursday. And then, and, uh, and then, um, you can find all that information at nourishingjapan.com as well. It's cross-posted. And then um, there will also be a couple of other um, opportunities. April 16th at NYU. And uh, that's not on the website yet, but um, check back soon. And then uh, March 18th, Wednesday, if you happen to be a little further up the Hudson, uh, we'll be doing um, a screening at the Culinary Institute of America. Mm, nice. Yeah. Looking uh, forward to all uh, of them. Right. Yeah, I hope uh, you, you can keep making it available because I really want everybody to watch it. Yeah, the goal right now, you know, we want to focus on, you know, private screening so people can experience it as a group. Um, uh, I think there's I think there's a lot of power in c- people coming together mm-hmm. and, and experiencing uh, this kind of screening. So, um, you know, if any listeners here are interested in hosting a screening, we are more than, we would be delighted uh, to talk about it further because really the goal is just to have as many people as possible see this film um, I, yeah, yeah, I really hope so. And that's uh, so what any plans? Another movie, film, anything? Well, first off, just you know, um, screening, nourishing Japan as much as possible. There, I have a few other ideas um, tinkling around in the back of my head. Um, uh, but as far as you know, pr- plans for the future, uh, short term, showing this film to as many people, and long term, I really want to serve or continue to serve as a bridge. Um, between the people who are doing this type of work in Japan, food education, and the United States or other countries in the world to help um, serve as kind of an interlocutor and share ideas and practices that are going on uh, between Japan and the world. Mm, you're a very precious asset for that. So we're always here. So let me know when <laughs> something happens. All right. So, and again, so the website that's nourishingjapan.com? Yes, nourishingjapan.com. Great. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Hopefully see you soon for the next movie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikuatem.com. Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.